there's this there's this thing that people will do, right? There's a way that you can find your own purpose. It's called the thing that you forget time about. Remember that thing that you spend your time on that when you get so engrossed in that thing that you forget what time it is, but you don't actually care. You're so engrossed that you're like, this is, this is something I got to finish like now. And you just, you can't put that pen down. You can't put down the paintbrush or you can't stop typing or you can't stop reading or you can't, you know, whatever that is, that is what drives you. I think it's called the Agni Kai in Japanese. Hello, and welcome to the new Mission Career Transition Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Caprellian, and I'm joined by my co-host, sister, and talent management pro, Alexandra Caprellian. We interview service members that transition to new careers, DOD representatives, and civilian HR professionals to provide you with lessons learned you won't get in a transition class and to help you transition with confidence. Our guest is Grant Hatfield, a prior service Marine and embarkation specialist who bears it all. From sharing the struggles he faced while in and out of the service, his spiritual direction for holistic health, and how being a carpenter has given him the strength to get through it all. Grant Hatfield, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Chris. It's good to hear from you. Hey, Grant. Hey, Alexandria. How's it going? I'm doing great. I'm excited about this podcast because I'm looking forward to your discussion on some of the mindset challenges with transition, the psychological dimension. And I know that you've done a lot of self-study, particularly when it comes to you know, leveling the mind, getting the mind right in many things. I know you're a big consumer of the classics, and so I, I have a deep respect for that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that being covered in our conversation. But to start it off, uh, we'd like you to orient our listeners to who you are, where you came, where you grew up, where you came from, how you joined the military, and take us uh, through your military career briefly. Let's see. I was born and raised in Monticello, Minnesota. I'm a Minnesotan boy. Never got to play hockey, but, you know, did my best. Played hard sports, played outside, you know, ate dirt, all that stuff. Uh, I was homeschooled up till sophomore year, and then I'd take sophomore year again. And in high school, uh, my parents were pretty involved in, um, like, the church and kind of our outward uh, appeal to the world. And my brother was actually the first one to enlist in the Marine Corps. And before then, uh, I've, I've had different generations of my family. Uh, actually, almost every generation of my family has been enlisted in, in the service in some type of way, um, dating back all the way to like the Mayflower. Um, I take a lot of pride in my last name, Hatfield McCoy. People typically have heard of that one. And uh, <laughs> it's the same name. Yeah. Been around since I think it's a, I'm a 14th generation American. So oh, cool. I'm pretty patriotic. And my parents have always been patriotic. And I love this country. And I, I really do mean it when I would die for this country because freedom is very precious. And when you travel the world, you really, uh, you really realize how precious it is. So my brother joined the Marine Corps um, at 18, right outside of high school. And since that day, I looked up to him immensely, like any br- little brother would look up to his big brother. So I chose to enlist and I, I couldn't shut up about it probably the entire time I was in public school. 
and probably to the point of annoyance for the other students. And, uh, man, I was, I was overly patriotic at times and everyone kind of knew me by that, uh, that stature. And, uh, even in sports, I wasn't too interested in sports, but I was really interested in (laughs) pull-ups. You were like the ideal delayed entry program poolie. <laughs> oh man, I was so moto. <laughs> yeah, no one could tell me otherwise. I was I was extremely moto. Right. Uh, I Here actually go. got called out one time when I was a poolie because I was so aggressive and I was like on top of it. Like I was very competitive. And I remember one time I got chosen to be the guide and I was like stoked. I was overly stoked. I mean, as a, as a poolie, I was like, this is this is such a big responsibility. And uh, <laughs> I was running with these kids and I literally stopped PT to turn around and be like, you guys are moving way too slow. How do you think you're going to do anything or achieve anything? You're moving too slow. And the uh, recruiter had to pull me aside. He's like, hey man, uh, yeah, you're not a Marine yet. So you need to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From, uh, from then on, probably uh, right before I left the Marine Corps, because I was in the depth for probably a year and a half, um, I decided to take a trip to Europe. And this is probably what helped me out in my future most out of anything is right before I joined the, the service, before I got, you know, sent off to boot camp, I kind of just out of a wild idea. My brother had told me that he had wished he had traveled more. And now it, it's ironic, you know, because Marines travel a lot, or at least if you're in the right MOS, you do. And uh, he was like, man, I really wish I could go see Europe. So me being 19 and I had about $4,500 in my pocket, decided, you know, why not? I'll buy a ticket, go over to Europe. And I did. It was just me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the time I was in flip flops, board shorts and a tank top with a backpack of all my earthly belongings. And uh, that's when I actually got to experience a lot of um, growing pains without even realizing it. That was the first time I went hungry. Uh, it was the first time I slept outside and I was in Italy and I had, didn't have enough food or uh, didn't have enough money to buy a cup of coffee. But luckily, I had bought all of my tickets in advance, so I wasn't completely stranded. <laughs> uh, I got to uh, taste a whole different culture other than America. And I, I must have gone to, shoot, probably, it was all of Central Europe. So I went to Germany, Austria, Czech Republic, Spain. Italy, France. Uh, I went to a little island in the middle of the Mediterranean called uh, Sardinia. And then, yeah, all over the place. But I'll tell you what, uh, it, it was bittersweet because I, I got back just in time to have one week with my family and then I shipped off to boot camp. Well, you were living it up before you were going to live it hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, where'd you go to uh, after boot camp? I went to, let's see, I went to Pendleton. And then after Pendleton, went to the schoolhouse. Right after the schoolhouse, I got orders to Iwakuni, Japan. And I was in MWSS-171 for my first duty station. And uh, that's that's where it all happened, man. I mean, that was, that was my first unit. That's where I made the most friends and probably the most mistakes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I loved it. Overall, is probably the the most life le- lessons learned was in that unit, like being around such good men and such good Marines, and uh, especially in such an interesting time. Because I remember the the conflict between uh, Korea was popping off, and 
yeah, a lot of a lot of nervous people around there. But I remember MWSS one seven was was we were definitely on our toes. We were like ready for it, and uh, especially being a junior marine, I must have been like a Lance Cooley. I, I think it was PFC at the time I got there, and uh, we were all itching for a fight, you know, as any young marine is. And I think there was a, it wasn't necessarily an an unreasonable or irrational assumption that that was a good possibility. I mean, we had, I think there were North Korea launching missiles over mainland Japan, whether or not that was intended, who knows. Oh, yeah. Um, but that definitely, that definitely convinces people that they probably need to check their gear twice and make sure it's ready to go. Oh, yeah. I remember... Uh... I had a sergeant, uh, Sergeant Holt, uh, quite the character, very spry guy. He's a lot shorter than I was, but he had a lot more energy. And uh, he he made us double check our gear probably three or four times. Yeah. After your duty assignment at Marine Wing Support Squadron 171 in Iwakuni, what was your next duty assignment and what was that like? So uh, I, I can't leave this out. So when I was in MWSS 171, I developed a drinking problem. and being around uh, certain Marines that well, I thought were my friends, you know, didn't really develop a good mentality of dealing with problems uh, for myself. While I was in 171, I went to Guam and I violated a drinking order given to me by my chief officer. And that was a really big disappointment on myself and him, which caused me to lose rank. Um, I was corporal at the time and then I got bumped down to uh, Lance Cooley again. And then I got orders to go to the States again. And that's when I went to second radio battalion down at Camp Lejeune and, uh, pretty disappointing. I mean, having to show up as a Lance corporal to be the embark chief. I was an embarker, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that on this podcast, but mm. yeah. Uh, working with shipments and logistics all the time. It's a pretty stressful life. And it was kind of known that embarkers are, you know, pretty raging alcoholics because we're just working 24 seven. And we were literally the guy who's there first and the guy who's there last. Because we're just packing up everyone's stuff, and uh, a lot of heavy weight on our shoulders just from officers wanting to know where and when stuff will be, and uh, if something doesn't fit or if you don't have the right kind of logistic support, you know, it's you leave it up to a lance corporal to get that done, and uh, or or the mabo. You know, and my chief officer, he he always seemed to have the answer, but a lot of times he's not there, right? So you got to answer those questions for everybody which makes you a very hardened character because you're either going to tell them straight out no or make up an answer and then try to make that, you know, that miracle that you just described happen. And uh, I got really good at that, either lying or, you know, making miracles happen. And I figured out the best way to do that is you build relationships on on a one-one ba basis with all the uh, Embark reps in every section. And to this day, I still stay in contact with those guys because those are probably the, some of the best Marines that I've been around. Uh, I just want to shout out to my, uh, I had a buddy named uh, Strong. This guy was a fueler. I must have given him like two classes, right, on Embark training and how to ship stuff. And he got sent to Guam one day. <laughs> and they were in, in this, uh, this operation was going on and they had to ship everything and label it and get all packed up. Well, they couldn't find the Embarker, right? So they grabbed this guy. <laughs> and he ends up packing up like the entire unit and doing a pretty good job and then shipping it on its way back home. To the point where he calls me probably about a weekend later. And he's like, hey, man, uh, did you see all the stuff that got back to our unit? I was like, 
yeah. And he's like, that was me. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, awesome. Dude, I'm so, I bought him a 12 pack after that. I was like, good job, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I fed, I'll bet it feels really good that, you know, he listened and whatever, oh, yeah. it, whatever it is you taught him, it worked. So that's awesome. Yeah. PowerPoints. They, they work. I know they they suck to sit through, but they do work. Well, <laughs> oh God. Well, I'm sure there was some practical application you put him through too. So, so at what point in time did you start thinking about transitioning? I want to say like probably pretty early on. I mean, but that's not like, that's not something that was probably realistic. I wasn't really thinking about it. But uh, when I seriously started thinking about it, it was probably halfway through my second unit when I was in second radio battalion. It was then and there when I was surrounded by a different kind of Marine. And now a lot of people will probably throw shade at this, but in different maps, there is a different kind of Marine. It's just where you are. It's where you're born and raised. And uh, in third meth, there was a Marine that was motivated, ready for war. Like you want to get on top of the ball immediately. And you're in the greatest shape of your life. When I hit 2nd Radio Battalion, the kind of Marine that I found myself encompassed by on Lejeune, on Lejeune was more of like, how long till my contract ends? Mm. Like, how do I, how do I complete this nine to five and go back to whatever else I want to do? So just to, so I can clarify for those that don't know what a MEF is, it's a Marine Expeditionary Force. The one you were at for your first assignment was 3MEF based in Okinawa, Japan. You're talking about 2nd Radio Battalion that was part of 2MEF, or 2 Marine Expeditionary Force, located in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. So you noticed definitely a different culture between those two locations, between those two organizations, correct? Oh, definitely. And it's, it's not, well, actually, I would say it's directly to do with their jobs. Like, to them, the war, or not, I shouldn't say the war because we weren't at war, but, you know, the conflict seems so much farther away that they're like, why should we care? Right. And it was less of the integrated mentality that we are all Marines, that we're all here to do a job and that you signed up for this. And a lot of guys, what they do is they would complain and just kind of be like, well, I didn't know what I was getting into. I'm like, too bad. Like, you made a promise. Keep your promise. And a lot of those guys in that unit, they kind of made the choice to just not, they would rather show up in the worst set of camis, do the bare minimum, and that bled into the culture heavily. And that, that wasn't just the enlisted either. That was the officers too. Some of them were very motivated, and I, I respect the hell out of those guys. But some of the Marines were on that point of where it was better to do to look good and then do nothing. It was a common mindset and it just it frustrated the hell out of me because mm. I wanted to be a good leader. You know, coming back from an NJP like that, I was like, you know, I want to lead from the front. I will sacrifice everything I have to try to improve not only my position, but to show the rest of these Marines that you can actually come back from an NJP, that you can do your best and that you don't have to yell and scream to do that. That's when I actually made a turning point in kind of my own walk. And it was, to focus more on wisdom. Um, there's, a, there's a quote, actually, from Seneca. It's a Stoic philosopher that says that the body should be treated more rigorously, that it may not be disobedient to the mind. And that proves true. I mean, every man can be what he thinks is competent. But if you can't control your mind, and you can't control your emotions, and you have to you know, be on a rope, 
and you're not a man. Like you're just a strong guy who is out of control. You're an animal. <laughs> and that's not that animals don't make great leaders. <laughs> so, so it sounds like because of the environment that you were in, you started figuring out that you want to be headed on a different path. It wasn't the place that you wanted to stay at. Is, is that an accurate assessment or were that, was there another reason? Uh, two reasons I would say mentally I was not healthy and I had not had the, the leadership to address that or the opportunity to take that on myself and be mature enough to step up and say, Hey, I need to get this fixed. Um, like I said, I had a, I had had a drinking problem and that I had received punishment for that. Sure. But I hadn't take the time to heal from that. Did, did you tackle that while you were in or was, was part of your game plan when you were going to transition was you were, you were transitioning to be able to heal that or get after that, that problem that you wanted to solve? Yeah. I would say it was a, a transition choice was to get out and heal that. I had in, in second radio battalion, I had a wonderful officer over me who helped me out a lot and uh, she was able to point me in the right direction. And even though I was consuming this, you know, and, and philosophy and trying to become more wise in the aspect of the world, that maybe this would help me out with my problems and my own point of view on life, that it was something, something that I had to come to terms with. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I guess I am going to be a four and done. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not for everybody to stay in for 20 years, as, as moto as everyone wants to be. And they will always try to convince every single Marine to stay in for 20. It's totally fine to get four and done. And uh, that's the decision I had to come to. And that was honestly probably one of the better decisions that I've made for my overall health and mental health. And that was from the suggestion of a staff sergeant, a first sergeant, a captain, and a sergeant major. And a lot of different friends of mine who were able to speak goodness and wisdom into my life. That's good. So what were your action steps? Like what, what was your game plan on getting out and your expectations? Oh boy. Uh, so my action steps, well, I was still pretty dumb. So I got to look back on uh, some grace, but, uh, I mean, I was ready to go. I, I packed up most of my stuff. I already made plans. I was going to move back to Minnesota. I uh, decided to go home and live with my parents probably for about a month, and I couldn't take it. Being back at home, I just like I was like, "Nah, I'm beyond this. I can't take this." So I moved out to California and lived solo for about two years, and uh, I had to come to terms with a lot of my inner demons again, seeking help and uh, facing who I was and pretty much where I find meaning. And a lot of that was again helped by the philosophy, and then getting back into the, the Word of God and like. That's what ultimately corrected my my path. Oh, I want to know more. <laughs> like, no, yeah, <laughs> tell me more. I mean, even <clears throat> I'm not exactly the most religious person, right? Not I, at all. I, I, you're, I, but you're good, but bro. but talk about how finding a purpose, whether that's via religion or via some other mechanism, how that helped heal you. Tell us that process. All right. Well, so I, I moved out to a place called Redding, California, and I'm doing the logistics gig. I uh, 
<laughs> I was doing shipping and it was miserable, man. I was, I was really miserable. I was doing logistics. I remember and I was hanging out at this game club, this little place called King's table. And, and I remember when I was in Iwakuni, I had been showed how to play D and D by some Navy cats. And, uh, I started going there because I was lonely, man. Not any friends, or at least it didn't feel like I had any friends. So I, I showed up at this game club, and I remember at the time I had been I had been practicing paganism, like I was really deep into North mythology, and uh, you know Stoic philosophy matches up perfectly with that because it's a warrior's culture, it's a warrior's religion, it's all about bloods and guts and Valhalla. And I got to this game store, and I was playing D and D when I met this guy named Josh Horn. And he really helped me out. Uh, he argued with me. And I remember Josh kind of reached into my past. Like I said, my parents were religious and they were they were they went to the assemblies of God when I was growing up. And so I knew about the Bible and I knew about the truth of God and but I refused it. Out of all the pain and suffering that I had endured from seeing my friends go through it or their rejection my own struggle with my inner demons, I had denied the truth. And I had argued to a fact that God was not real, that he no longer loves people, that he's not for humanity. I remember I was working this logistics job, like I keep saying, in Anderson, California. And I was their logistics supervisor. I was shipping these big sanding machines that we had to build wooden crates around. Things were like the size of SUVs. And I shipped them across the United States and even to Germany and like to Japan too. And uh, I squatted down one day and I ripped my calf, just ripped it. It hurt like hell. Oh, <laughs> I was man. like, oh man. Uh, and there's like my left calf, this muscle just popped right up. Right. And it was gnarly. Whole thing was black and blue within like 12 hours, like dark black and blue. It was not comfortable. So I had to wear this stupid boot that I got from the VA <laughs> and it was so uncomfortable. And as I was going through this period of my life, I uh, was talking to this guy named Josh, and he'd bring his family, and uh, we're talking about God and existence and the meaning of life. Because to me, separation was so bitter, so cold, that I was just like, you know, why would I want to live? What's the purpose of going on if you're not living for anything good? If, you're not out of, if you don't have a purpose, you don't have a brotherhood around you, why, why, even, why even choose to go on? And uh, so I had ripped my calf and he was telling me that I should go to church. And I was like, dude, I don't want to go to church, but I don't believe in God. And I was like, in fact, I, I, I hate God because of all the things he's allowed to happen. And if, you know, if God exists, why, why do all these bad and terrible things happen to good men? So he kept pestering me, right? Keeps poking at me, telling me to go to this church called Bethel. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, all right, all right. You know, if you'll stop pestering me, man, and I'll just go. Just try it out, whatever. And I remember I was there in the, in the service, and I had showed up, and I'm wearing this stupid button-up shirt and fancy pants. And, uh, and I start to worship and start to kind of open up and kind of turn to God. And uh, there's a, they played this song, and it was like, you know what? God is good. And in that moment, I kind of had to like slap myself in the head. I'm like, man, I am really just, I'm a dumbass. <laughs> like, <laughs> cause it's like, that's, I have my answer. I know what good is. 
God is good. He's the very definition of good. And uh, no matter how much as humanity or any people would like to deny that, we draw all of our sources from that answer. What goodness is comes from God. So it sounds like your your ability to to find your faith got you out of the trough and set you at least up on a I'm hoping a glide slope further out of the trough, probably at least in the direction of a mountain. Maybe that helped your healing process, did it? And and where did that help take you? Oh yeah, it it helped my healing process. Um a lot, man. Uh yeah. Uh, I would say one thing I definitely struggled struggle with was uh, like overall, man, just to come clean was like the heavy atmosphere that's in the Marine Corps of something that's very dense and, and corruptive to most men. I mean, you got alcohol, of course, but something more prominent. And I'm going to say a buzzword here. So, uh, but pornography for sure, something that corrupts your soul. And my encounter with God changed that. I started to discover who he was and where I was going. Now, did I know exactly where I was going? Hell no. <laughs> I was still pretty <laughs> lost. But I went back to that church twice, right? And I remember I, I was limping the whole time because of my calf injury. And the doctor told me nine months that I'd wear that cast. And this is probably about the third month into my suffering. and. I got prayed for, man, like right there up up by the uh, the pulpit or whatever. And some dude, I can't remember his name, laid his hands on me and he prayed for me. And he said, in the name of Jesus, be healed, right? And I woke up the next morning and all I know is that my calf was completely healed. I had experienced a miracle and that's mm-hmm. not something I can deny. I can't ever say that. I can never deny that for the rest of my life. And I have no hunger or drive for any of those other things that would corrupt me. Mm. No longer do I have any desire for those things. And I don't even, I don't even want to drink anymore. It's something that turned me in the right direction. So Mm. I started to try to figure out what this stuff meant and where I was going. And uh, I tried being ambitious and I, you know, focused on where my life was going and all, you know, what can I do to make my situation better? So I started working in shipping again, and I I quit the job with the, um, I think it was in Anderson, and I I started working in Reading for this little food bar company, and I loved it to death because they made protein bars. So I started hitting the gym like like mad, and I got pretty big. I remember I I got up to like 230 (laughs) and uh, (laughs) put on a lot of weight, and then I decided, you know, it's about time that I go home, and I moved back to Minnesota. This is where I'm where I'm now. Moving from there, I kind of developed more of a sense of, you know, like, what do I want to do now that I know which direction I should be heading? I don't have a destination. I have a heading. And I will follow that heading until I die. Because the same in motivation, same direction that I took from the Marine Corps that drove me to be at least the best version of a Marine I could, even though I was, I was not perfect by any means. And I was... I mean, not exactly surrounded by the best role models, but I, I did my darndest. I had that same motivation toward this. I had developed this kind of sense of getting more in tune with myself and my own, like the things that I enjoy, not because it's cool, 
not because other people thought I looked cool for doing it, but just because I truly enjoyed it. There's this, there's this thing that people will do, right? There's a way that you can find your own purpose. It's called the thing that you forget time about. And I say that because it's like, remember that thing that you spend your time on that when you get so engrossed in that thing that you forget what time it is, but you don't actually care. You're so engrossed that you're like, this is, this is something I got to finish like now. And you just, you can't put that pen down. You can't put down the paintbrush or you can't stop typing or you can't stop reading or you can't, you know, whatever that is, that is what drives you. Uh, I think it's called the Agni Kai in Japanese. And what's that for you? What did you find? What, what everybody follows or tries to follow a path, but they have to have an aim point. So, so tell us, how did you find that aim point? What was it? What is it now? Well, uh, I followed that aim point to carpentry, honestly. Hmm. Uh, I've always been an artist through my life, but I've always kind of denied it. I've been doodling since, you know, the schoolhouse and I drew some people, some tattoos before for Marines. And I did my own works of art and I did painting when I was living in Reading and I got home and I was like, man, I, I really like making painting and sometimes even on occasion I dress up and go to the Renaissance festival. And so I decided, you know, why don't I try my hand at woodworking? And I tell you what, taking after Jesus being a carpenter is the best damn thing I could have done. <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, and I love the smell of wood, like being able to mold something with your own hands. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like enjoyment in that. I started to learn how to use my skills to make more woodworking. Uh, and like woodworking stuff. And even recently I went on this mission trip for a local church and I made a bunch of cutting boards and I, I was just, I was tickled that I could actually do that. And it helped sponsor the missions trip. And I, I love it. And the cabinet shop I'm working with now, I've had to, again, eat humble pie <laughs> and come to the fact that I don't know everything. And then I don't know how to use some tools. And I, I did not know the name of certain saws or, you know, how to use a measuring tape even when I started there. Uh, and God put some people in my life that made it really, it wasn't easy because I'm not, I'm not going to call it easy, but they made it digestible. The fact where I could understand what was going on and that it took that extra moment to hold my tongue and just take a step back, watch and learn, be humble, pick up that new skill. And then Eventually, when you start to grow that muscle, you know, just like weightlifters in the weight room, you're going to start with a 10, but that's okay. Because one day you'll be able to curl 50s, but it's mm -hmm. going to take some time. It's, it's, it's taking time, man. And now I can read a measuring tape. Now I can you know, use a miter <laughs> saw. Now I can use a table saw. I, I hope you know so, because I want you <laughs> yeah. to stay employed, okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Keep your fingers. <laughs> Keep your fingers. Stay employed. That's good. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. But, well, uh, look, I, I think this is a very interesting aspect of what it means to be holistically healthy. We talk about many things. Oftentimes we get sucked into, well, what are the finances looking like? What's your revenue stream? You know, do you have the skills necessary to do a job? Sometimes we'll even talk about physical health. I mean, I think for those that are in the service, that's a, a very normal topic. But one of the other aspects that I think we've touched on is the social aspect and the spiritual aspect. I like to think of it as a as a table with many legs. And when you break too many of the legs off of that table, the table becomes unstable. 
And it, and it, I'm very inspired by the fact that you almost to use some carpentry parallels, you found a mm-hmm. way to put new legs on that table and give yourself a foundation. And, and that's, that's pretty good. Hey, sis, do you, do you have any questions? Not really questions. It's more of just a statement that, you know, a lot of people don't really realize that, you know, there's something really beautiful in finding something that you can see through from the start to the finish line, from, you know, the beginning to the end. And that's, you know, if you can find something that like you do in your carpentry in starting a design and building it and seeing it through fruition until the very end. Um, there's something really beautiful about that. And I, I, not a lot of people get to do that. And sometimes we do it every day and we don't even think about it, you know, like cooking dinner, you're starting it from the very beginning with ingredients. And then at the end you get to enjoy it and it's the same thing. And so finding that and being able to do that is something really beautiful. Yeah, it's it's definitely taken me a long time to realize it's okay to slow down and uh, you know enjoy the quality of what's around you. Mm. Like mm. breathe the air, mm. realize that your eyes are uh, not going to see that again. Yeah, or that you yeah. know. Uh, I think it was Socrates who said, uh, you know, a man does not step in the same river twice because it's not the mm. same man and it's not the same river. Mm. So what are you, uh, what does the future look like for you? Do you have any future plans? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I'm going to continue to do carpentry. I really like where I'm at. Um, the, the shop I'm in right now, it's called Sean's Cabinetry LLC. It's in Cocado, Minnesota. And, uh, we produce excellent work, man. Uh, it's some of the best cabinets I've ever seen. And that's not just coming from me. <laughs> it comes from our customers too, but it's really helped me in my walk with God too. Mm. And I prioritize that nowadays more, more my walk with God, because like talking to the creator of the universe is a lot better than talking to any man, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, he, he loves us all. And it's, it's not just like a special thing. It is literally every single one of us and we can all turn to him in our time of need. And while we have all these skills and all the amazing things in life and how we like to balance our checkboards and books and our, where we're going in life and our education and how equipped we are to lead or how effective we are as a fighter, if you don't have all the legs on your table, you're going to wobble. And if you wobble too long, you're going to snap. So mm-hmm. take care of your legs, man. Yeah. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. goes for uh, jumping out of seven tons too. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> take care of those calves too. <laughs> yeah. Oof. All right, Grant, if there were two or three things that you want listeners to remember as they prepare for their transition and embark and embark, <laughs> embark upon one of the biggest career <laughs> changes they'll ever experience, you know, what are they? First thing I would say is uh, treat yourself like you're someone you're responsible for helping. I steal that quote from Jordan Peterson because he's very knowledgeable and it's a, it's a wise thing to do mm. because you can't help those around you. If you're not healthy. Second thing I would say is uh, try your best to be slow to anger because it is is so much better than being strong. Because he that can control himself, you know, like he that has his ducks in a row, if you have your mental health in the right place, you are more powerful than any warrior. And then uh, probably the last thing 
it's something that has totally helped and changed my life. Uh, is pursue what's meaningful. Don't go after the fast and easy thing to get. Because if it's fast and easy, it's probably not good. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> that rings pretty true in all my experiences. Like, it's easy and accessible, and that's every commodity. You know, like, don't go after that. Don't be a ding dong. Like, <laughs> go after what is meaningful, what is hard to get, what is valuable. And what is valuable is what is something that is, it's of quality, it's rare, and just like any Greek mythology, it's going to be in Olympus. That means you're going to have to climb a mountain. You're going to have to scrape your knees and shed a little blood. And you're probably going to have to break down a time or two. But trust me, when you get to the top of that mountain, it'll be worth it. Mm. And you'll, you'll, you can say that until the day you die. Yeah. I like those three points. That's pretty mm -hmm. good. Thanks. <laughs> so asked quite a few questions. This was an interesting angle we went down. I'm very glad that we did. And we talked about the spiritual dimension of holistic health, how it's important for transition. But despite that, probably a bunch of questions we didn't ask. So how can listeners find you if they want to ask you questions or how can they follow you? Do you have any social media platforms you're on? Uh the only one I'd really suggest uh, really is something that I'm more public on is a, uh, I have an Instagram. So uh, it's optimistic pineapple. That's the optimistic underscore pineapple. Uh, pretty public on there with everything. Uh, Where did that come wait, wait, from? Wait, 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 well, yeah, wait, 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 what's the pineapple? Are we talking about hospitality <laughs> here or what is the, what's the pineapple reference? Oh, the pineapple reference? Yeah, sure. Just call it hospitality. I had to. It was one time when I had to choose some like secret word or something like that. And I was like, oh, pineapple. Yeah. I, I like pineapple. And even when I was a bartender, I was like, my favorite thing to throw into drinks was pineapple juice. So. Hmm. All right. Well, optimistic pineapple it is. I like it. <laughs> we'll, make, we'll, we'll make sure that gets into the episode notes. Grant, we took, we took up a lot of your time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great. And uh, Thank uh, you for your time. This is honestly such an honor. And I, hmm. I really appreciate you guys. I, I really do. This is something that you guys are doing that's super important. And I know that it's going to impact the world, veterans, and anyone who's enlisted or, you know, has their commission right now. <laughs> now you hear that? What Grant's <laughs> really telling you is, is give us five stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely be in touch. All right. I'll talk to you later, Chris. Thank you, Grant. All right. Yeah, Bye. thanks, Alexander. And Grant Hatfield has left the virtual studio. Sis, what are your impressions? I mean, it's just really great that he he found his own path. And, you know, finding God is, for everybody, is very individualized. And, you know, when you find something and you hone in on it, I think that that's one of the biggest lessons that he was saying uh, without really saying it. That if you can hone in on something and give it all you got, you can really find and reap the benefits from it in the end. And, you know, there was also something else that he said, you know, when he was talking about his experience, when, you know, when he was talking about transitioning out and the environment that he was in was one of the biggest reasons why. And I think that that's something that people need to think about when they start looking for another career, especially in today's society, you really need to focus on what environment do you want to be surrounded by? What office, what type of people, what type of work? 
Um, and that will really help you guide you into finding whatever your next path is. That's a great point. And I think the trick is finding the path, right? Like we look mm-hmm. at religion and some people aren't religious. Some people will never be religious, but religion gives us an understanding of where we fit into the universe and it gives us a sense of purpose. You can find other spiritual ways to answer those questions. So I'm, I'm very thankful that he shared it. I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk yeah. about it. So if you're still listening to this episode, you're our rock stars. Thank you very much for listening. And if you like what you heard, you can support our podcast by giving us a five-star review or whatever you think we rate. By the way, we want to hear your feedback. You can also follow the new Mission Career Transition podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast apps. You can follow us on Instagram at New Mission CT. That's New Mission Charlie Tango. We would also love to hear your feedback. Like I said, you can DM us on Instagram or send us an email at our address, newmissionct at gmail.com. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are preparing for your own transition, know, well, I'm right there with you. So until next time, stay focused.